Hey and welcome to the Pursuit of Healthiness podcast. I'm your host, Vinonda van Delft. I'm a health and mindset coach, graphic designer and a cat mom. I love conversations that are on a more raw and deeper level. And today's guest is Kara Drescher. She is the founder and CEO of the Hormonal Mama and host of the Hormonal Mama podcast. The Hormonal Mama is a resource for women going through infertility, pregnancy and the postpartum period. Because of her own infertility experience and many studies, she is now a wellness life coach who specializes in infertility, pregnancy, postpartum bodywork, skincare and education. Because of that, Kara brings a unique approach to her work and you will soon see how amazing and unique she is. So let's dive into the conversation. Welcome Kara to the Pursuit of Healthiness podcast today. I... I'm excited about our, about our conversation. You see, I cannot even talk properly. I'm so <laughs> excited. <laughs> I'm not so alone. Excited. <laughs> I can never talk well. It's okay. <laughs> it's no. It, we we talked a little bit before, and before that, we we've talked on another day as well. And I just love your energy. I love talking with you, and you. I just get so excited about it. Um, but before we're going to start, can you tell a little bit about yourself and what you do, and yeah, what we are going to talk a little bit. About today, yeah. Well, uh, so I'm Kara, and um, let me tell you a little bit about me. And what I do is complicated, so I'll try and make it not complicated. Um, I always start by saying I help guide women through infertility, pregnancy, and the postpartum journeys while teaching them how to take better care of their bodies and minds. Now, what that means is a combination of things. Um, to start, I myself went through a very complex infertility journey over the course of three years and 14 fertility treatment cycles. Um, I became pregnant with triplets, which is shocking. Every time I say it, I still can't believe it. Um, sadly, lost one of our babies during the pregnancy and gave birth to twins at seven months. So they were preemies. They were early. I had complications in my pregnancy. It was all craziness. Um, my babies spent the first month of their lives in the NICU and my postpartum journey like my infertility and pregnancy journeys was also complicated. I had all kinds of issues with breastfeeding. I had all kinds of issues with an unexpected C-section and the complicated recovery there. And, you know, that first year was just, it's hard to put it into words. It was craziness. Yeah. Um, I was motivated to help other women going through these journeys for really two main reasons. Number one is because I went through these really crazy journeys with so much, oh, there's no good word for it. Just a lot of blah. That's the best word. Very scientific there, but it was, it was a lot. But the other side of it is prior to going through these journeys, I had focused my career as a licensed massage therapist, licensed esthetician, and a nationally um, certified continuing education provider for massage therapists. I had spoken, spoken, I had focused 
all of my career on pre and postnatal massage, body work and skincare. And so I had a lot of training and experience with clients going through these phases themselves. I later became certified in fertility massage because of my own journey. And I realized I I want to help other women because I have the personal experience. I have the professional training and experience, and I've been teaching for years. How can I help other women? And the pandemic actually sort of pushed me in this direction to help women going through these. And it actually pushed me to become a certified integrative wellness life coach. And so it, it's kind of pushed me in a direction that I didn't expect and being able to bring my personal experiences with my professional training and some new trainings this past year, it's really helped me find a way to be passionate about helping other women going through these really complex journeys during the time of, of starting this business. That's, you know, kind of unusual, if you will, because, you know, not that it's unusual to focus on postnatal, I'm sorry, pre and postnatal body work and skincare, but because, you know, I have a skincare line and I have courses on fertility massage and, um, prenatal partner massage. And I created a planner that's right behind my head here, Mm -hmm. uh, a planner for new moms and, you know, all these things that I've been working on because I feel like, Women don't get enough support, whether you're going through infertility or pregnancy or postpartum, any women, women in general, we don't get enough support. We all try to look for support and it can be really hard to find. And I've made it my mission to give women these resources that I can provide things that I have training and experience in. But I also look at myself as like a resource library where come to me and tell me what's going on. And if it's not my area of expertise, if I can't help you, I have a huge library of other professionals who can. And that's, that's kind of where my passion comes in is I want to help, but I can't help every single person. I wish I could, but that's not realistic. I would never, you know, that that's just not life. I have my specialties in, in, within these specialties, but other women who specialize where I don't kind of fill in the gap. And that that's kind of a, a maybe a little more complicated overview of what I do um, than I planned, but that's, that's me. I, I like to talk. So yeah, I do a lot of different things. And ultimately my goal is just to help women journeys and give them the, the best help that I can provide to make their journey a little less overwhelming and make them feel less alone. Yeah, that is That's amazing. How I would yeah. <laughs> because it's I do hard. agree what you were saying. Like a lot of women, especially lately since starting my podcast, I, I, I've spoken with a lot of women and most of them, like there are a couple of topics that are coming back, but relevant to this conversation is also a lot of women have gone through miscarriage or stillborn or mm-hmm. not being able to get pregnant, but nobody really talks about it. And I actually had a conversation about this yesterday as well. Um, 
like society is putting a lot of pressure on you as well. And I've noticed it as well. I mean, I'm 26 now and a lot of people, I'm 10 and a half years together with my partner. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying like, oh, I never going to have kids and, you know, kids, kids, kids. kids. Uh-huh. Like, a lot of people are pressuring you and I'm not trying. Absolutely. And like, I don't, I don't want it, but I know a lot of women around my age or older that are trying but just cannot get pregnant and they're still getting that those questions like when are you getting pregnant and when are you going to have kids and it can be really painful especially if you want to have kids but you cannot have them so I think it's amazing that you are there to support and you know help people and to feel not so alone anymore you know I I love being able to support other women. That's part of actually why I became a massage therapist in the first place. You know, I've, I've been a massage therapist for 19 years. That makes me feel old to say, yeah, I know. Um, I'll actually, I'll be 41 in a few weeks, which is also weird to say, I can't believe I'm going to be 41. Just like you wouldn't say that. Absolutely not. Well, thanks. (laughs) It's bizarre. Every time I think it, I'm like, I can't, I'm still 16. What are you talking about? But, you know, I just want to echo something that you said a minute ago. You know, when I was 26, I, you know, I wasn't married yet. I was sort of figuring out life, but I, I knew for myself at that point, I knew someday I want to have kids. I mean, that was just something I always wanted. And, you know, just there's kind of two parts that I, that I want to mention, you know, one is it's so society in itself across the board, it doesn't matter what country you're in. Society is so strange in this pressure to have children. And in two ways, one, there's this pressure, you're a woman, you need to have children. And well, that's just not true. You're a human and you have different wants and desires and needs than other people, right? Not every single person wants or needs to have children. And that I think is something really important. You know, as someone who always knew she wanted to have kids, I, I feel strongly that that's a personal decision. That's not a societal decision. Like, come on, don't tell me I need to have kids just because I'm a woman, please. That's crazy. (laughs) So that's the one thing, because that always drives me crazy when people are like, oh, when are you going to have kids? And it's like, well, what if I don't want kids? Is that your business? No. The other side of that is with infertility. You know, it's such a real thing. I didn't know that I was dealing with infertility until I was 35. Like I had no idea. I thought, okay, you know, when I'm ready, you know, we'll, we'll ha- I'll have kids. And I, w- I didn't even marry my husband until I was 32. And when we got married, it was, you know, we knew from the start that was something we both wanted and it was important to us. And we were like, okay, we want a family. But it was years of me being like, okay, when are you ready? When are you ready? When are you ready? Give me a baby. I want a baby. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And I was pretty intense about it. And everyone around me was having babies and it was all crazy. And when the time came that that we both agreed, okay, we're ready. Life is ready. Financially, we're ready. Let's do this. It was, you know, there were like two crazy things going on. We were older, you know, I was 35, he was 37. And, you know, even though it's, more common for people to have children older. Yeah. It's not the norm, you yeah. know, like it, it. And again, like, what does that even mean? Like, 
there's no normal life for everyone. It's so different. Right. I mean, come on. It's just crazy. Every time I hear that. Um, and it was really crazy for us because we didn't expect this infertility journey. I never had any indication my whole life that I would have trouble conceiving. So, you know, being older, puts you at higher risk for infertility anyway, just because of the way that the body works and, you know, eggs die off over time and you don't have as many eggs you had when you're younger and over the age of 30, then over the age of 35, then over 40, it's like a whole thing. But I didn't expect it anyway. I thought, okay, maybe it won't be easy, but maybe it won't be impossible. Yeah. And it, it's so, ah, when you're going through that journey, it's overwhelming because people don't understand and people who haven't gone through infertility tend to not understand how complicated and how emotional it is. And I get that because there was a time that I didn't go through infertility, so I couldn't relate. And I was someone who would be like, okay, well, maybe you're just not meant to have children. Like I wouldn't say that to anyone because like logically don't say that to someone. That's just a tip for anyone. Don't tell someone, maybe you're not meant to have children unless they say I'm not meant to have children. Cause I don't want them. That's a yeah. different conversation. But for me, it was just really strange to tell people once I found out, okay, infertility, that's what I'm dealing with. My diagnosis was unexplained. So there was no helpful information to, to help me figure it all out. But the hardest part for me was really people not being able to relate, but more so being uncomfortable by my uncomfortable situation. And that's really mentioned that because yeah, you don't it, know how to react. Like yes. how do you react to something like that? Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. We know, but you know, what, what can you say? What yep. does that person want to hear at that point? And that could be different for everybody. Exactly. And that's a struggle. And I, I understand now, now that it's been a long time, you know, like I said, my infertility journey was three years. Then I had a seven month long pregnancy. And now my kids are going to be two in like five weeks. And so it's been a while. And now I can look back and say, wow, you know, at the time, let me give you a great example. This is my, like, this was kind of <laughs> like the turning point for me in my whole journey. I had, okay. So in August of 2016, it was, you know, okay, we were getting ready to see a fertility specialist. We knew, okay, something's not working. We've been trying for a long time. It was like eight months and I was over 35. So we knew, okay, we need to get checked out and find out what's going on. And I went to a business meeting one night. It was a Monday night. And I'll explain why I remember these details in just a minute, because it's interesting. <laughs> um, I went to this business meeting for other women in my industry. It was wellness professionals who specialized in pregnancy. We had massage therapists. There were sleep specialists because it was pregnancy and postpartum care. We had Pilates instructors, yoga instructors. It was great. There were like 20 of us, I'd say. And I went to this meeting. We were, it was a networking event, essentially. And one of the first things that anyone would ask when we were all just talking in little groups, getting to know each other, one of the first things that I was asked each time I talked to a new person was, oh, do you have any kids? 
And every time I'd say no. And they'd say, oh, okay. And, I, and you know, that would have been fine if we had left it at that, but it always ended up going in the direction of, well, I'm, I'm going through infertility and nobody ever knew what to say. And usually what, not usually in every single conversation that night, what happened was the response would be, oh, well, you know, I got pregnant really easily. I got pregnant right away. I wasn't even trying to get pregnant and I got pregnant. All of these responses that were taking the focus off of me and putting it on them. And the problem with that was kind of twofold. There were two issues there. One, you could feel the discomfort. You could feel how uncomfortable they were hearing me say the word infertility. And the other problem was that their response when shifting the focus, which is fine, but the response was telling me a story about how successful they were when I was having the exact opposite problem. And looking back on it now, I realized they didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And that's not their fault. You know, that's not their fault. They don't know what to say. The problem is that people are just not educated on infertility. You know, if I knew when I was a teenager that infertility was a thing, probably would have made these conversations easier for me. You know what I mean? Like, gosh, why can't they talk about infertility and sex education? There's got to be a way to to put it in there. But again, conversation for another day. Um, Just one question. You also get a lot of people saying like, oh, you need to try this or try this position or eat this. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) every other thing. (laughs) They would shift the conversation and if it it would kind of, I'd be like, oh, okay, good for you. And they'd be like, you know, what I did was you should try this. The the biggest thing that I find with infertility is people always want to say to you, just relax, just relax and it will happen. And they mean well, when they say that nobody says that to be hurtful, but speaking as someone who went through a, you know, even a quicker or a shorter infertility journey, having someone tell you to just relax. I mean, pardon the violence in in this sentence, but you just want to punch them in the face and be like, (laughs) no, (laughs) go away. Because it's so emotional. It's so deeply rooted inside of you that something essentially is wrong with you. And it goes back to that conversation about society expecting as women that we're going to have kids. Yeah. Society doesn't expect that you're going to have struggles with infertility or with fertility. I should say society just expects you're a woman. You're going to have at least one child. Yeah. They don't. So, so that's like this big, bigger issue, but yeah. I mean, to answer your question all the time, all the time when I went through this journey, People were telling me, try this, try this, try this, try this, try this. And most of the time, those suggestions, no, that's not going to help me. (laughs) It's infertility. It's, that's what it is. It's an issue. There are solutions, but it's not as simple as like you said, just try this position and you'll get pregnant. You know, no, you know, great. Hey, you know, have a good time with it. Sure. (laughs) Try that position. Have fun. Good for you. But is that going to cure my infertility? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Um, that night at that, that networking event, it was really rough for me. You know, I was, 
oh my gosh, I had to leave early because I got so emotional. I went into the bathroom because I, I, the tears started coming and I was like, oh my God, I can't be at this meeting with other professionals and be crying. And as soon as I went into the bathroom, I just, oh, I mean, meltdown city. I'm glad I didn't have any makeup on that night because I just couldn't stop crying. And I knew I need to leave. It's time for me to go. And I, oh, I cried for hours that night. And I just cried and cried and cried because every conversation switched to this is how easy it was for me. And I just said how hard it was for me. And in any situation, it doesn't just have to be infertility. When someone tells you how hard something is for you, the right response is not to say, oh, well, for me, it was super easy. (laughs) Yeah. How's that helpful? And to make a long story short, I woke up the next morning with ultra swollen eyes from crying all night. And again, long story short, I had a really bad accident that next morning. And because I, I, my eyes were so swollen, I was so upset. I couldn't see where I was going and I slipped and fell down the stairs and had a severe shoulder injury that put me out of work for over a year. Again, conversation for another day, but (laughs) I mentioned that because even though, yeah, that networking event wasn't the cause of my accident it was a major factor because I was so distraught directly exactly it was because I was so distraught I was so incapable of controlling my emotions that the next day I couldn't even open my eyes all the way and then zip bam boom my whole life is uprooted for 13 months because of a serious injury and multiple surgeries and I just mention it because I think it's so important for people to realize that infertility is a bigger deal than you think first, you know, if if you've never experienced infertility, it's not as simple as you'll get pregnant eventually, because in many cases you won't, it's a journey. It's a very complex, difficult, stressful, deeply emotional journey. And You know, I I just want to go back to something you said a little while ago about it's really in a lot of ways, it's not that different than if you're going through, you know, I don't want to have children, but everyone's in my face about it all the time. Everyone's telling me, when are you going to have kids? And and while I can't relate to that because I did want to have kids and I did go through infertility, I can't help but think that there's a very similar connection in what's wrong with me. You know what I mean? With infertility, you can't get pregnant and you question all the time, what's wrong with me that I can't get pregnant? If you don't want children and people are constantly in your face telling you, when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? Why haven't you had kids yet? I I don't have grandkids yet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, like the question as well. It's so crazy. And I can't help but think there's got to be a part in your mind that's like, well, is there something wrong with me that I don't want kids when you know there's not? Well, maybe but, I do want to have kids, but not right now. Right. And, and that, that's the other part of it. Why does everyone think I have to have kids right now? I just yeah. feel like there's this pressure, this outside pressure that people put on everyone else that like, why focus on you? Yeah. If I want to have kids, I'm going to tell you. You know, or better yet say, oh, do you want to have kids? That's, you know, I mean, I think it depends on how close you are with the person to ask that question. It is actually a really personal question. 
extremely, extremely but, 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 but besides besides all of that, I mean, see, even if you don't want to have kids, I mean, there are too many people in the world anyway. So why do you mm-hmm. care if someone doesn't want to have kids? It's, you know, I'm so glad you said that because that's so true. And I, I just don't understand why people really why people are so nosy. Like, why do you need to know every detail of my life? Yeah, That's pretty personal. That's, you know, it's like when people say to someone, when are you do? And you're like, I'm not pregnant. That happens. People actually ask these things. I had, you know, years ago before I even was going through infertility, I think I had just gotten married and I had a husband and wife, um, massage clients that I would see at the wellness center that I was working at. And at the time I was the manager and I I don't remember how the conversation came up, but the wife, I think the wife either was pregnant or they were trying to get pregnant. And one day, I I don't remember which one of them said it to me, but one of them said, Oh, so when do you do? And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, well, you're pregnant. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not pregnant. I, I just got married. What? And I could see just how uncomfortable they were. And I thought to myself, where did that even come from? I, I don't understand how anyone thinks that that's an appropriate question. If I'm pregnant, I'll tell you I'm pregnant. Yeah. I'll I'll discuss it with you, you know, but asking someone and then realizing, oh, they're not pregnant. That that's like, it's just, oh, oh, I just get so worked up about it because I well, don't understand people. I should so- tell you a story then because, <laughs> because a friend of mine, she was pregnant. We were working at the same place. A lot of people always say we look alike. They think we're sisters. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm on the heavier side. So, you know, I, I can't imagine that someone would think I'm pregnant, especially if I'm bloated. <laughs> I run into that a lot. <laughs> I have a very round belly. <laughs> Not the issue over here, but she was pregnant. So we had customers, like regular customers, and sometimes they couldn't get us apart. I don't know why we don't really look alike, but a lot of people think we're sisters. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they were like, oh, you know, you're pregnant, and when is the baby coming? And I was like, I'm not pregnant. I was like, that's my colleague. And they were like, no, you're the one who's pregnant. And I was like, no. I'm pretty sure I know. (laughs) And just, oh my goodness. Just, just like saying like that I am wrong for saying you you are pregnant. And I was like, no, I'm not. That's the other girl. I'm not. And they were like, yes, you are. And I was like, no, I'm not. This conversation really happening. (laughs) It's, It's absurd. It's crazy how obsessed people are about pregnancy and and getting kids but on the other side what is also happening there are a lot of children born unwanted yes and absolutely and like those women got pregnant for whatever reason or whatever situation um some chosen for it some didn't but you I, I think if you actually want to have babies if you're seriously thinking about having a kid it's a lot of responsibility So sometimes, I mean, you could be 30, 40 or 20 and not being ready for having a kid. And that's also what people don't realize. It's not like, oh, I'm going to buy something at the grocery shop. 
and you are talking about a human being so i think that question like when are you going to have kids or i think it's really thrown in the world too much too easily i so agree with you it's it's unbelievable to me that in this day and age people are still obsessed with other people's bodies essentially and what they do with their bodies you know in every conceivable way and it's it's just it's weird and it's not fair because in a lot of cases that that gives people these oh these heavy emotions to carry around with them because it becomes well is everyone focused on this with me like I know I deal with that all the time you know and I'm not a petite person and like I mentioned a minute ago, I, I still have a belly. You know, my kids are almost two. And even before they were born, I always had a round belly. I just always have. To me, most of the time, I look like I'm a few months pregnant. That's just my body. You yeah. know, that's just how I'm made. And I am always concerned that people are thinking, is she pregnant? She must still be pregnant. She must be pregnant again. Well, is she pregnant? And I don't like thinking that because who cares anyway? You know what I mean? Like if they think that, so what? And like, logically, you know that, but But still it's in your head. It's it's really bad that it comes into your head that you are thinking about it. Well, you shouldn't have to. Right. And, and so much of that just comes from, again, society having this obsession, especially with women's bodies, bodies in general, but women's bodies, you know, this ideal body type and this body yeah. should look like this and you should look like this and you should look like that. And it, it that's just not real because we are all different. That's one of the beautiful things yeah, about absolutely. being human is we're all different, but it's not just like our personalities and our facial features. Our bodies are different and they're all amazing. They're yeah. all amazing. The amazing functions of the human body. I mean, as someone who's obsessed with human anatomy, I say that like just what our bodies do. They do. It's yes. amazing. Yes. It is everything. Our hearts beating, our, our brains telling the different parts of our bodies to do things. I mean, I get overwhelmed sometimes thinking about the fact that like my brain is doing a million things at once. It's keeping me alive while I'm processing all of the things I'm seeing in my peripheral vision and having a conversation, moving my hands at the same time. I'm also my ankles are crossed right now and my toes are like all these things that I know I'm getting carried away here. We're going, I totally, (laughs) I I totally understand that. I have the same. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I get excited about it because that's the beauty of being human is how different we all are from each other. Yet we're all the same. So why this obsession with looking a certain way or your body being a certain way is just something that I'll never understand. Yeah. What I'm curious about, how did your husband experience it? The infertility? Yeah. Like how did people react to him and how, what did people say to him and how? I'm glad you asked that. that. That's such a great question because, you know, something that people... Okay, let me kind of back up. So something that I personally experienced with my husband in dealing with infertility was how differently we both processed it. I was a mess 
I, I use that word and that's probably not the right word. I was devastated. I cried every single day for three years. I went through depression. There were times where I couldn't get out of bed. There were days where I just didn't want to talk to anybody. And like, I love to talk. I'm a talker. And so for me to have a day where I'm like, just don't talk to me. It was like, who are you? My husband, on the other hand, for him, his focus was more on me and taking care of me and making sure I was okay. Because while he wanted kids as much as I did, it was a different experience for him. Now, part of that was our diagnosis of unexplained infertility and not knowing is, you know, what's causing this? Is it something happening with my body? Is it something happening with your body? Is it both of our bodies? Is it neither of our bodies? Like what, what's happening here? And so to answer your question, I kind of have to compare my experience was bearing the brunt of it, both internally and externally. So inside of me was always, well, this is, this is something's wrong with me. What's wrong with me? Always. That was kind of the, the go-to in my head was what's wrong with me. Whereas for my husband, I don't, I don't think it was so much what's wrong with me or what's wrong with her or what's wrong with us. It was more of, okay, one day at a time we will get through this. So when people would inquire, like, I I think the better way to, to word that is he wouldn't get as much questioning about what's going on. Occasionally he would get questions from family or friends like, Oh, are you guys planning on having kids? You know, you've been married for a while. Like we got married 2012 and 2015 was when we started having so a few years, like three ish years or so. And, you know, people think the minute you get married, you're going to have a kid the next day. I mean, I don't understand that at all, but okay. Um, So the questions for him would be different. You know, it it wouldn't be so much, you know, when you having kids and oh, what's going on, it would be like, oh, are you guys planning on having kids? And so like the questions would be a little different. They wouldn't have that same, when, when are you doing this? It would be more of, oh, are you going to have kids? Which is so strange Maybe not. I don't know if it's strange or not. To me, it seems strange. Like, wh- I think wh- it's strange be- too. Because of a couple of reasons. One, to make a baby, you need two people. So, right. exactly. <laughs> as much as you need, the one, you need to, you need to have a man as well. So, exactly. Yeah. That's a fact. I mean, that's just nature. <laughs> Babies don't come from one person. Exactly. I mean, so, yeah. I feel like I'm glad you said that. I really am because I think people focus so much on. Oh gosh. I mean, there's, there's so much behind my thought here. You know, I want to say people focus on, well, I'm a woman. I have a uterus. I carry the baby and there you go. Well, there's a lot to that. Not every woman has a uterus. Let's be honest. Um, and not, you know, like you just said, I don't create a baby. I create half of a baby, but that half can't become a whole without the other half that you know, in my case came from my husband. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's the way nature works. <laughs> two exactly. eggs make a baby, two sperm don't make a baby. You have to have an egg and a sperm and then boom, there's a baby. Exactly. That's the nature of it. Now, granted, there's so many other factors, you know, there's, you know, all of the same sex couples that becomes, you know, a, a different experience and that's great, you know, but at the same time, in order to get a human These are the two components you need. And there are a million amazing ways to go about it. 
that's one of the great things to me about fertility treatments is you, you can have a baby just because, you know, the, the traditional way, whatever, there are a million ways to have a wonderful baby that you want, if that's something that you want. Yeah. Um, but what's so bizarre to me, you know, I kind of went on a tangent there, but what's so strange to me is how differently men are treated in regards to infertility, because a couple of reasons. One, the approach, the questions, like I said, are completely different with women. It's when is this going to happen? And with men, it's, is this going to happen? Yeah. And that's just bizarre. Like you said, like what? (laughs) It doesn't even make sense. There's just, you know, that's, you know, one of the big societal differences between men and women and how we're approached or how we all interact. But on the flip side, I lost my train of thought there for a second. I had a thought and I can't remember it at the moment, but what, what I'm getting at here, I think, is basically dealing with the way people, oh, okay. I remembered my thought. So sorry. So infertility is also handled differently as a woman, right? We talked for a second there about how I internalized everything and it was just what's wrong with me. What's wrong with me. And for him, it was, how can I help her? What can I do for her? Now, not every man is like that. And not every woman's like that. We're all, like I always say, we're all very different, but the external, um, not approach, but, but looking at it objectively, if someone, if, if he were to tell someone, oh, we're dealing with infertility, the, the issue becomes, I think, in saying that the questions are different, right? So like as a woman, you know, we have all of this pressure on us to look a certain way, which is stupid. Pardon that, you know, stupid is such a, a strong word in my opinion, but it is. Oh, it you just can is. even use use worse words. Like <laughs> I just use every time I hear the word stupid, I'm like, ugh. But it is. It's so <laughs> absurd, right? Everyone is so different. With men, they deal with these issues too. You know, my husband and I have talked about this so many times. And it's something that as women we don't realize because, you know, we're we're all, ugh, how can I word it? <laughs> men deal with body image issues too right? That's something that I spent so much of my life not realizing. I'm going to be totally honest. I had no idea that men deal with body image issues. Not a clue. They deal with them a little differently than women because of just our natural makeup. The the chemistry in our bodies and our brains are different. That that right there is, is just you know, again, that's nature. That's how we're, you know, one of the major differences between men and women, how we emotionally process things. But so many of these issues men deal with too. Men are expected to look a certain way also. You know, you, you, my prime example is always looking at celebrities. Oh, he's so good looking and yeah. he's got an amazing body. And look at that model and this, that, and the other thing. And well, that part of it is really no different than women. You know, women, it's all about, oh, look at her. You know, that supermodel, she looks amazing. And like, great, she has a, a lovely body, but so does this woman. Yeah. So does this woman. Look at her beautiful face. It's different than that beautiful face. No different with men. But when you're dealing with something like infertility and it is affecting your ability to reproduce, there's a similar but different um, stigma attached to it. You know, as women dealing with infertility, 
there's a stigma, right? It, it, it's talked about more than it used to be. And I think a lot of that is more and more celebrities are sharing their stories with infertility, which is amazing to me because it reminds the rest of us, we're not alone. You know, you see like my prime example here, <laughs> I always have prime examples, but here's a good example. Magazines like Us Weekly, right? You go in Us Weekly and it always has a section, celebrities, they're just like us. And they're doing things like taking out the trash and putting money in a meter and driving a car, riding a bicycle, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so I, I think of that. I always laugh at that because I'm like, uh, they're humans. Of course, yeah. they're what? I always <laughs> think that's so weird. But something like infertility, when someone like Chrissy Teigen, who has shared her infertility story, and it's amazing that she shared so much. And I mean, I just. I just think it's amazing that she has shared so much of her story so publicly because I think she is one of those people who has opened up the door for other women. Cause I'm talking about women for a second, other women to understand this is an everybody issue. This isn't just specific to certain demographics or certain people, right? Infertility happens to a lot of people. Sometimes there's a diagnosis, sometimes there's not. For women, there's still a stigma attached, even though someone as popular and famous as Chrissy Teigen talks about it very openly, there's still this huge stigma around it. Like, oh, well, there's something wrong with you. It's yeah. your fault. That fault thing always bugs me. With men, it's talked about so much less. So it's like a different type of stigma. If a man talks about their infertility issue, for example, something like um, low sperm count or low motility, you know, there's all of these things that they look at with sperm when you're dealing with infertility, all these different tests to determine, is there an issue with the sperm? Mm -hmm. Men have this masculinity concern. So if there's an issue with their sperm, then it becomes like this big emotional, okay, I'm going to retreat inside because what does that mean? You know, does that mean something's wrong with me and I'm no longer a man? And really it's the same as what women go through, but women are more, um, can't think of the right word. We, I think I know what you, I think I know what you mean as well. I think we put a lot more pressure on ourselves because we ultimately are the ones who carry the baby. Yes. Right. And, and, and it's different, you know, it's just, it's just interesting because I think based again on my conversations with my husband and paying attention to what goes on in infertility, since it's such, it, it was such a huge part of my life for so long and it still is, I mean, it never goes away. You know, I, I, I just said something on Instagram about this last week. You know, one of the really weird things is people think, oh, infertility, once you get pregnant or if you get pregnant, yeah, all of that goes away and you no longer have to worry about it. Well, it, it doesn't, it stays with you. And, and I don't know with men, if it's the same way, because I'm a woman, <laughs> so I don't know, <laughs> but men don't talk about it as readily as women do. I think that's kind of what I'm getting at in a very convoluted, inarticulate way is men, there, there's so much more pressure that men put on themselves in a different way than women do with women. Absolutely. It's all about how we look. And with men, it's all about 
how they function kind of, you know, like, yeah, function, am I a vibing, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And, and so it's, it's just a very different experience, but you know, in my case, I'm very lucky. My husband was, was, and is such a supportive person that he was able to see this is affecting her more deeply than it's affecting me. I need to be there for her and I need to know how to help her. And that, that in itself is a struggle when you're, you know, going through infertility. And a lot of the time, how do I express my needs? How do I say what I need in order to get through this? Because most of the time, if he'd say to me, how can I make this better for you? I'd be like, give me a baby. (laughs) That would be my answer. (laughs) Get me pregnant. That'll solve it. And it's hard when you're going through it because it's hard to say what's going to make this better. Well, the only thing that's going to make it better a lot of the time is if I could just get pregnant already, if I could just be a mom, but that's not really the answer because there are so many different ways to become a mother and a lot of it. It's tough because it's not as simple as just adopt. You know, a lot of people say, Oh, just adopt. That's what you should do. And that's an amazing option, but for everyone, it's not their go-to or it's not ideal or they can't afford it. It is so expensive. It is expensive. Yes. That's what I wanted to say. Like, Oh my God. I, I don't know. I think it's a couple of weeks ago that I've heard it's it's a couple of thousand, ten thousands, maybe even more than that to adopt a baby. And I'm like, wow. It, you know, it's really, really interesting because fertility treatments also depends where in the world you are. I mean, that's absolutely 100% true, depending on what country you're in and, and even other factors. For example, I went through IVF Well, I went through it once, but I was planning on a second cycle when I got pregnant unexpectedly, but that's a story for another day. Um, My example is my infertility. The first IVF cycle was $8,500, not covered by health insurance. We didn't have that money. And again, that's another story. We got a grant, we got a loan, we got a lot of stuff to help us with that. But when I went to a different doctor and we were preparing for a second round of IVF, her prices were different. Her prices were 9,800, which are really good prices. Sometimes IVF can cost upwards of 15,000 or $20,000. Yeah. And then adoption in a lot of cases can be like $30,000 or more. Surrogacy can be like 60,000 or a hundred thousand even. It just depends. And the really frustrating thing as someone who went through infertility knows a lot of people who have been there and on both sides either became parents one way or another or couldn't afford it. And that's the problem that I have with it all. I understand why it's expensive. I get it that trust me, I'm not trying to say it shouldn't be expensive because for a lot of reasons it should be, but there's gotta be, and this, again, I know this goes on a a totally different direction, but I feel really strongly. There's gotta be a way to make it affordable, whether it's, you know, um, more grants. There are some amazing fertility grants out there. I have a whole thing about that, but 
on top of that, health insurance should cover some of these things because how is it fair for one person to be able to have a child and not have to pay for it? And another person who's been trying for 20 years to have this one thing that they want and they're out hundreds of thousands of dollars because their treatments didn't work and this one didn't work. And then eventually it did work. And here we are, we've spent $30,000 or $150,000 on a child. And now we can't afford the house and we can't afford a car and we can't afford the other things in life that we need. And we're paying off this loan and we're paying off that loan. And that just, I mean, again, that's a whole different conversation, but what I'm getting at is that it's super complicated, every aspect of it. And it, I just feel strongly that there needs to be a way to make it easier on us financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, all of these things play huge role when you're going through infertility and it takes a toll. Yeah. And here I am, you know, this is 2021. I started going through infertility in 2015. A lot of people go through it a lot longer than I do and lose a lot more money than I did. But I still think about it every single day and not just because it's what I do in my business, but because every day I look in the mirror and I say, I'm a mom. I have children. There's no way because I went through this. How's this, how's this real? And that's just one aspect, but that's what I'm getting at is that it never really leaves you. And it's complicated for men and women just in different ways because we're different creatures. Yeah, absolutely. I I do have a question because what I uh, often hear is that if you do IVF, it's really common that you get triplets (laughs) or twins or even more. So do you know what the science is behind that? Yes. So There's actually a couple of things around this. And that's what's so interesting to me. So twins and triplets and multiples, there are two different kinds. I mean, really there are three, but I'm going to focus on two. Fraternal and identical, right? Fraternal is simply two eggs. We'll say, we'll just focus on twins for a second. Fraternal twins are two eggs, two sperm. The two sperm fertilize the two eggs. And here you have two babies. Identical twins are when you have one egg, one sperm, right? One egg, one sperm, they fertilize. And somewhere along the way, in the very early stages, it splits, right? It splits. And and there are different points during its journey down through the fallopian tube into the uterus where it splits into two. And it was one, it split into two with identical DNA, right? Everything is the same in these two. So, so that is a very generalized difference between the two. When you talk about higher order multiples, which is triplets and above, it gets a little more complicated because it could be three eggs and three sperm, which is what happened to me. I had three eggs that were fertilized by three sperm. You could have one egg fertilized by one sperm and it splits into three, or you could have two eggs fertilized by two sperm, one of them splits, and then you have identical twins and a third baby and, and so on and so on. Um, with IVF. Okay. So let me back up. (laughs) So different types of fertility treatments can, um, result in multiples. So IUI, which is intrauterine insemination, also known as artificial insemination. Um, I'm going to start there real quick because I think that's just as important. 
Sometimes that can result in multiples. And usually the reason behind that is the medication or injectable medications, oral or injectable that you're taking to help your body ovulate. So what can happen is these different medications can cause you to ovulate more than one egg. If you ovulate more than one egg, the chances of both eggs fertilizing isn't hundred percent, but it's a higher chance than if you ovulate one egg. Now, if you go through IVF, it's a completely different situation. IVF, you kind of have a protocol where you take certain medications, injectables, you know, like, gosh, I know from experience how many times my husband had to stick a needle in my stomach and that medication would help trigger certain hormones, certain reactions. So there are two things that, that happen. Basically they give you all of these hormones to help your body mature a certain amount of eggs. Now it's not an exact science in terms of how many eggs are going to mature. You might have five, you might have 50 or more. That's a different conversation again, but when you go in for the IVF procedure, there are two procedures. There's an egg retrieval during an egg retrieval. They go into your ovaries and basically the, the eggs that have matured and are getting ready to, um, release like they would normally do. They go in and they take those eggs out because they're mature and ready to be fertilized. That's a simple explanation. Cause sometimes they're not mature, but again, this is, that gets scientific. Yeah. Um, let's say with, with, with the most positive situation, they are right. Ready right. To go. We're going to focus on that the most positive situation. We'll say we have 15 mature eggs. Okay. So they get these 15 mature eggs out. Then they take the sperm, they put them, you know, there's, there's two things that they can do. They put them in a little like Petri dish and let them sort of find each other, or they inject the sperm directly into the egg, which that's called, uh, in, uh, cytoplasmic sperm injection, which again, that's complicated. And that's just, you know, more intervention, not going to focus on that. I'm getting myself distracted here. (laughs) So the idea is that the egg and the sperm find each other. Now, most of the time, you're not going to have all of the eggs get fertilized by the sperm. That's just not going to happen. Maybe I think it's like maybe 20%. Usually I, I don't know exactly, but we'll say you have 15 eggs that were mature. Five of them get fertilized. Now, what happens here is kind of there, there are two possibilities for multiples to occur. So what can happen is if they take however many embryos and they implant more than one into your uterus. When I say implant, that's not the word I mean. When they put it back in, we always say it that way. They put it back in, right? And that's the second procedure with IVF is they take the, um, it's not an embryo yet. It's called a marula. So it's before it's, um, divided into an embryo. It's either three days after your egg retrieval or five days, depending on your situation. They put it back into your uterus and wait and see if it implants. Now, in cases of multiples, there are really two things that can happen. If you implant one um, marula or almost embryo in there, it could still potentially split into identical twins once it's inside the science behind it, there's no real, like, why does that happen? Here's why they they don't know yet, but there's a higher chance of identical twins with IVF. And I think part of that has to do with just the, um, 
more intervention with it, right? They're, they're doing more, they're hands-on more. The other thing that can happen, you know, is that you put more than one egg in or, or, um, embryo and they both implant. So essentially you're not waiting on nature to see if you're going to ovulate more than one egg. You're taking these already fertilized eggs and you're putting them back in and then which one survives basically. Right. And either one implants, both implant or none implant. Yeah. And that is why there's a higher rate of multiples with IVF with identical twins. It's just, you know, identical twins are, are kind of a, who knows why that happened anyway. You know, it's just, who knows? There's no explanation and you can't predict I'm going to have identical twins. Same with fraternal twins. You know, like there's no predicting. You could say I might have like my sister has fraternal twins, just like I do mine, whether mine were, you know, because they run in my family or not, we don't know because I went through fertility treatment and mine happened because of oral medication, maybe, but they might've just happened naturally. I don't know. But with IVF, the, that's the reason why, because with, if you get identical twins, it's probably, but there's no, you can't quote me on this because the scientific evidence isn't there. It's just what they think is that it's the more intervention that they have might be why. And with fraternal twins, it's simply because you're putting more than one in. So the chances are they're both fertilized they might both implant, but that doesn't mean that every time they put more than one in, you're going to end up with multiples. You might, you might not. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it's, it's really understandable. <laughs> like, I just, it, it makes perfectly sense. I just it's so interesting. New, no, it is interesting. Yeah, I so think so. I want to ask you something personal. So if you don't want to talk about it, just say, oh, no. I'm an open book. <laughs> I'm an open book. <laughs> you, you said that you lost one of the baby so was mm-hmm. that already when you were pregnant or mm-hmm. afterwards or and and how was that for you because I can imagine you were happy like yay I'm, I'm pregnant finally but then right I'm actually really glad you asked that and I'm very open about this because for for one reason I'm open about it and that's because I think more women need to understand that they're not alone with miscarriages and I, I share because I'm at a point that I'm comfortable sharing. And that's never to say that everyone should share. It's all about whether you're comfortable or not. Um, in my, in in my case, we were preparing to do another cycle of IVF because our first one didn't work. We only had one fertilized egg and it didn't implant. And that in itself was very similar to a miscarriage because that, that baby was in my body and it didn't implant. So it was, it was almost like a, it's hard to explain, but, but that was like, I like to think of it as a type of miscarriage. In this other instance, I was taking different medications. My doctor was kind of experimenting and seeing like how my body was going to respond prior to doing IVF to kind of get a feel for what would work because my first IVF didn't work. So we needed to do a different protocol to see if something different would work. So we tried, um, Clomid and Letrozole, which are usually taken separately. But in my case, she said, let's try them together. See what happens. Um, very surprisingly and unexpectedly, I ovulated three eggs, which is still shocking to me and was still shocking to my doctor and all three eggs fertilized. 
we were actually going to do another IUI. I had already done nine um, and I was going to do my 10th, but they did an ultrasound and looked and said, Oh, you already ovulated. We can't do an IUI. Alrighty then. And two weeks later, I had a positive pregnancy test and it was the first one in my entire life. So it was like, this isn't real. I'm going to faint now. And you know, it, it was weird because I knew at that point, I bet all three eggs fertilized. I bet there are three babies in there. And about a week later, sure enough, I, my HCG levels were super high. They were able to do an ultrasound. They looked and they were like, oh yeah, look at that. There's three babies in there. Okay then. And from that first appointment, my doctor said, you know, I want to prepare you. It's highly likely that, you know, one or two will not um, make it to the end of the pregnancy. And I was like, okay. And I think it was nine weeks into the pregnancy. It was Christmas Eve, believe it or not. And we went in for an ultrasound cause we were going weekly at that point. I had to go every week until what was I 14 weeks, I think. Um, and you know, I had spent a lot of time talking to these three babies that weren't able to hear me yet and telling them, you know, I told that third baby over and over. I said, if you can't stick with us, that's okay. You know, we will love you forever. If you can't be here with us, that's okay. You do what you need to do. And I know that sounds really weird. And probably a lot of people roll their eyes and be like, all right, you weirdo. But that's what I needed to do. I needed to make sure that somehow I was, you know, for, I think it was more for me than them. It was more for me to accept that. Okay. If I lose this third baby, it's okay. So when we went in that day and they did the ultrasound and they looked and saw that the third baby didn't have a heartbeat anymore. And it was pretty intense for me. You know, I, at, I think I was seven weeks and I had some heavy bleeding and it was much more than spotting. Yeah. And I was completely like, what is this? I'm going to Here's where it gets kind of weird because at the time the doctor, we didn't know that we had lost that third baby. Yeah. We just, well, the doctor saw that I had a subchorionic hematoma, which is basically, it's hard to explain, but it's kind of like if you think about it, it's like a bruise. So it's a collection of blood in a specific spot within the uterus. And that could have been that third baby kind of like losing, you know, the things that it needed, you know, losing its amniotic fluid or whatever. Um, But won't get into that. What I will get into (laughs) is realizing that third baby didn't have a heartbeat anymore that third baby was no longer viable. And for me, you know, I never knew what that would feel like. I had no idea what to expect because I was so convinced that that third baby was going to make it and we were going to have triplets. And it was weird is really the first way I would describe what I felt. I felt confused, I think like, well, how come these other two made it? And that one didn't. Yeah. And, you know, my experience I think was very different than a lot of miscarriages and a lot of cases with a miscarriage, not in all, but a lot of cases, you know, what's happening. You 
get cramps and you have bleeding and you can see what's happening. I didn't have that. I also had two other babies that were growing inside of me. And that made it really complicated for me to kind of know how to feel. And, and that's such a weird thing to say because you can't ever really know how to feel. You feel how you feel. Yeah. But I was sort of like fighting my emotions. You know, I was terrified pretty much the rest of the pregnancy that I was going to lose my other two babies. I can imagine. I mean, it was weird. And at the same time, I was so happy to be pregnant after so much. I couldn't believe I had two babies in there. But I was also devastated that I lost one of my babies. You know, like, I know it was early. But the thing that I try and tell women all the time, it doesn't matter at what point in your pregnancy. If you lose your baby, it doesn't matter when. It's devastating. It's still your baby. You know, that's why I look at my IVF failure as similar to a miscarriage. It's not technically a miscarriage, but we had this fertilized egg. We named it. We named it. Nemo, like finding Nemo because it was swimming around (laughs) so nerdy, but we had that, that little baby in there and it, it just couldn't, it just couldn't implant for some reason. And so I'd already gone through that, which again, isn't a true miscarriage, but was extraordinarily emotional. And here I am going through a real miscarriage and it was so different And I think for me, part of that was because I had two other babies that were relying on me. And I don't know that I ever really got the chance to grieve that loss. I'm not sure that I ever allowed myself to. I think I felt guilty, you know, grieving the loss of a baby when I had two other babies that I needed to be happy for. And, And that's, I think that's a myth. Pregnancy is weird. There's ups and downs and it's all craziness. But in the end, it was, it was tough. I mean, I can't think of a good word to describe it. It was a very strange experience to go through. And I think, I think miscarriages are a very strange experience to go through. They're so much more common than people realize. And I think that's what makes it so hard to go through is because you feel so alone and you feel so understandably devastated, but, but And this goes back to the whole, we're all unique. We're all different kind of thing. We are all different. We handle things differently. And I don't think that there's any one way to deal with or process, excuse me, the emotions of a miscarriage. I think everyone handles it differently. Sometimes you just like, okay. And you move on. And other times it takes years to heal from that. And there's no right or wrong way to process that kind of loss. It is a loss and loss, no matter how you lose someone you love is intense. And you have the more than the right to grieve and deal with that. You know what I mean? And and for me, it just became complicated because I was so focused on, I've got these two other babies. What if I lose them? What if my worrying and grieving this baby causes the loss of these babies? And that's something that's really common is you kind of start to um, think that, how can I word my thought process here? You start to think that your reaction to something 
sorry, I'm shaking my computer here, is going to be going to cause, I don't know how to explain what I'm saying. It's complicated is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's complicated emotions and it's very hard to know how to process them. Yeah. I have, a, I, I have another question. I, I'm, I'm really curious to see what your opinion on that is because you have been through it. Well, I believe because I, our bodies are amazing at keeping us safe. And I also believe that sometimes if you cannot get pregnant in that moment, it's because your body is not ready for it. Mm-hmm. But that's because you are too much in the stress because it takes a lot on your body to create another human. So if your body is not ready for it, I believe that at that point you cannot have a baby. But I also believe that sometimes... Sometimes I don't want to step on someone's toes or hurt someone, but <laughs> if you get a miscarriage, I also believe that maybe there was something wrong with the baby to begin with. And maybe it's better that it didn't fully grow into a baby mm-hmm. um, because, you know, otherwise it would have problems or I don't know. It wasn't, ready yet i would say i don't mm-hmm. i hope you understand what i'm trying to i totally <laughs> so, so totally understand what you're saying what is your opinion on that you know again i'm really glad you asked me that because <laughs> i i think there is a lot to what you're saying i feel strongly you know when you look at the science behind miscarriages it's complicated there's more often than not there's no diagnosable reason for the miscarriage, right? Most of the time, we don't know why a miscarriage happens. Most of the time it just happens and we can't prove this is the cause. Now, sometimes we can, you know, sometimes it's a chromosomal abnormality, like you were just saying, basically. And that's, you know, I'd say that's probably the most common diagnosed cause is a chromosomal abnormality, which is tough because chromosomal abnormalities in a lot of cases result in healthy pregnancies and healthy babies who have, you know, some sort of special need. But in a lot of cases, chromosomal um, abnormalities don't result in a healthy pregnancy and it's not going to be viable anyway. And that's why the miscarriage happened because there was a problem with the development. The, the, the thing that I always go back to is a lot of the time people think it's something that they did that caused the miscarriage. And the vast majority of the time, that is not the case. Nothing that you did caused the miscarriage. Now, granted, if you're doing irresponsible things like heavy drinking or drug use or, or you know, and yeah, right. Things that, you know, are obviously you know, not going to benefit a pregnancy. That's a different story. But the vast majority of miscarriages, there's no obvious cause. Um, and again, this, this is all dependent on certain things. Most of the time, if you have a miscarriage, it depends on what point in the pregnancy, there's no way to diagnose it anyway, because you, you lost the baby by the time you get to the doctor, there's not much tissue left for them to test. However, in other cases, you might have a miscarriage, you know, so, so basically prior to 20 weeks of pregnancy, they call it a miscarriage after 20 weeks of pregnancy, they call it a stillbirth. So 
either way, what's happening is your body is going into labor and delivering a baby. Now, earlier in pregnancy, it doesn't feel like that. Earlier in pregnancy, it feels like, and again, not always because miscarriages are not standard across the board, but a lot of the time it's basically, it feels and mimics a very severe, heavy period. Um, what is, how can I word what I'm saying? Diagnosing the cause of a miscarriage is very hard. It can be done if it's far enough along and they can do testing on the placenta or even testing on the embryo if it's big enough. If, you know, they were able to, like something like a DNC, which is where they basically remove it from your body. So your body didn't do the steps it needs to do naturally to have the miscarriage, but there were signs or, you know, the doctors see the baby doesn't have a heartbeat. Would you like to, you know, let it pass naturally? Or do you want to have a DNC, which, you know, remo removes it? Um, in those cases, sometimes they're able to do testing and find out why, but sometimes even with testing, they don't have answers. So I agree with you to a point. Yeah. I think a lot of the time with a miscarriage, for whatever reason, it wasn't going to be viable. There, you know, was some sort of abnormality. Again, I say chromosomal abnormality because that's really the most common, but there could be other issues. There could be other things happening that will ultimately cause a miscarriage, maybe down the road, or the baby is going to be born missing. Like there, there are instances where the baby is born without a brain or without a heart or without a very important organ that they need in order to survive. Yeah. And sometimes the pregnancy goes to term and the baby is born and isn't going to survive because they're missing this very important um, organ. That again, that is a topic for another day, yeah. but a lot of the time things like that are what cause miscarriages. So yeah, I, I think it's kind of, I don't know the exact statistics on it, but yes, there are instances where it's because of this abnormality of some kind that the, the, essentially the baby, I can't develop anymore. And this is just wh where I leave you essentially. Mm -hmm. And then other times your body just for whatever reason, couldn't, couldn't carry it, whether, you know, it's because the baby implanted and then there was a problem with the placenta and the placenta detached, but it was early enough. Like there's so many things that could cause it. Mm -hmm. And then there are so many instances where we just don't know why you miscarried. You lost your baby and we don't have an answer for you. And that's one of the worst feelings in the whole world is miscarrying and not having an answer as to why. I mean, even when you have an answer, it doesn't make it any better. Don't mistake what I'm saying. It, it's just as horrendous to go through that kind of pain. But sometimes having an answer is helpful. Yeah. Again, sometimes it's not. Sometimes having the answer is like, well, that didn't help me at all with my closure or my grief. I mean, so there's my very complicated opinion. <laughs> So, so opinions are never one word. <laughs> what What is the biggest lesson that you've learned from all of this? Ugh, the biggest lesson that I have learned from all of this is just uh, there's so many things that I have learned, but I, I I don't know that I can narrow it down to one. I'd say there are a few things. One, taking care of your body. In my case, taking care of my body is one of the most important things. 
that I could do for myself. You know, it, it's so important to take care of yourself. And when I say that I'm a mind, body, spirit kind of person, if you are not taking care of your mind, you know, mental health is so important and there is such a stigma around that. Again, these are things I don't understand it. Why is there a stigma? Mental health. Hello. You need to take care of your mental health, whether that means seeing a specialist, you know, I saw a, a therapist throughout my infertility journey because I needed that. And I'm very open about that because infertility takes a toll is an understatement. And I needed that. So whether that's seeing a therapist or, you know, seeing a psychiatrist going on medication, if you're depressed or dealing with anxiety or whatever, or it just doing something to help your mental health, whatever that is. So that was one thing I learned. Um, I definitely learned that taking care of your body, eating certain foods, healthier foods. I'm not a health food nut. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to eat like jam packed salads and I love greens. I love vegetables, but I love my meat too. And I like my fried foods. You know, I, I love food. Balance. Balance. It's okay. It's good. Right balanced. And some of it is understanding that there are certain foods that have the potential to help boost fertility or help along the way. Um, Things like pomegranate juice and pineapple can help during the process. But I also learned not to solely rely on them. I learned taking care of my body will help my mind. It will help me go through the journey because I'm feeling physically better. Yeah. Um, one of the the best things that I learned is getting support. I mean, I, in the beginning, I didn't really, and I'm a huge, um, I'm big on support. I had no idea that support came in the form of Facebook groups. And I know that sounds really weird because like, I'm in like, I don't know, 150 (laughs) Facebook groups. I belong to so many Facebook groups. It's absurd, but they're all helpful for different things. I found As soon as I joined a support group on Facebook for infertility, my journey got a little easier. And part of that was because I discovered I'm not alone. None of the people close to me could relate to what I was going through or understand it. They were super supportive. Don't get me wrong, but they couldn't relate. And joining, well, I joined a few different groups. I joined one for, you know, IVF over the age of 36. And I joined one that's just general infertility and one for non-religious women going through infertility, you know, all these different groups and they all had different benefits. And the great thing for me was not feeling alone, seeing people asking questions that I was thinking in my head. And it's helpful because I didn't have to be in person. And talking about infertility when you're going through it is very emotional. And sometimes you don't want to see people in person because you're going to be emotional when you're talking. And for some people, that's really hard. So joining these support groups online were so helpful for me because it took me like a year before I started being active in the group because I was still getting comfortable with my diagnosis and understanding what I was going through but seeing all these other women sharing and asking for support and then just posting things and sharing all the stuff. I thought, Oh my gosh, knowing that I'm not alone just makes all the difference because I'm not by myself here. Yes. Like I said, in the very beginning of our conversation, all of our stories are unique. 
right? No one's story is exactly the same. We can have overlapping similarities and there might be like every single thing is the same except this one thing, but we're all still unique. And that's kind of the beauty of it. We all have this unique experience, but joining a support group like that was so helpful knowing that even though my story is unique and no one else's is the same, there are all these things that are similar that they're going through too. And that takes so much of the weight off. So I'd say, you know what, that's probably the biggest lesson I learned is that support is essential, but the caveat to that is support from others who are going through a similar or the same type of journey is just as important. Having support from those who are close to you is important, but having a different kind of support really from people that you don't know who actually know how it feels. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's, I think that's the biggest thing I learned that I didn't realize in the beginning. Yeah. So how can people contact you if they want to learn more about this and need the support that you can help with? I have really the, the two <laughs> places. That's my website, which is www.thehormonalmama.com. Yes. Cheesy. I know, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. And, uh, I'm on Instagram. My handle is the hormonal mama. I've, I've been on there a lot lately. I'm finding it's a good place, um, to connect and, you know, so that, cause you know, it can be really hard to reach out and it's a good place to kind of get to know me a little bit and what I'm about and what I can offer you, um, without feeling like, I don't want to send an email. I'm not ready for that because I know what that's like. So those, I'd say those are really my, my two main places. I'm also on Facebook, same handle, the hormonal mama. Um, But yeah, those are, those are the the places to find me. That's where I hang out these days. Lots of time online. Cool. I'll, I'll leave it in the description so people can contact you. And uh, I want to thank you for this conversation and I want to invite you back if you want, because I know we have a lot more to talk about and we already talked a long, long time. I know. I'm a talker. There's so many stories. I I love it. It's so interesting. And I think our listeners would think the same. Um, So I would like to invite you back and then talk a little bit more about this, but also about postpartum and, and everything else i would love that i have so much to share amazing stories are crazy (laughs) thank you so much for having me today this is so lovely so so lovely (laughs) oh my god wow that was an amazing conversation i've had the best time and i hope you did as well i told you kara is amazing and unique (laughs) if you want to work with her or want more information or simply just want support we are here to help you and all the details are in the description box i just want to say next time be more mindful when you ask a woman when she's getting pregnant it can be a really sensitive topic for some as pregnancy does not come easy thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time